0: Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Isha Fleisha Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to the Land of Israel Network, and shalom and welcome to Rabbi Mike Foyer. Shalom, Rabbi Mike.
1: Shalom, Isha. Long time no
0: see. Yes, and you have new glasses and a haircut. You're looking spiffy. I'm feeling spring-like. That's, oh, it is hot outside.
1: Yes, and it was time for the annual shearing.
0: That's right. and But, but you and I are both right now, as we enter the other holidays of Israel, Right? There's like Acharya Chagim 1, which is the big holidays, the month-long holiday fiesta. Back in the fall. of, of That's right, of, of Elul and, and Tishrei and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. The other one is Passover, Pesach. Right? Absolutely. And the kids are going to be off of school starting very soon. Very soon. That's crazy. Why is that?
1: Um, I think it's just to add pressure. That's right. In order that we really feel like slaves before Seder night.
0: And you and I are actually, this is not our usual day of recording. We're recording here on Monday at Pardes, Pardes Institute. Uh, and that's just because we got a lot of stuff going on. I was next door at a meeting here to for some video creation here with Shlomo Blast. Do you know Shlomo? I do not. Oh, he's a very he's a great guy. He huh? works right here. There's a great space right do, here. Do I will to no. show it to you. Uh, and I jumped in and said to Rabbi Mike, "Can you? Can you? Can we meet?"
1: And I said, "Carpe diem." That's what I always yeah, say.
0: Carpe like carpe hour. You well, like Carpe now. Parpe, the hour. Okay, right. That's at right. This jump, jump in. So that's great. I haven't seen you in a long time. I've been uh, around the world and back again. And back again. I was and back and there and back <laughs> again. I was uh, basically what stands out in my mind is in the last like be- before this whole thing before I see you now. I was in, the, my main trip was in Vegas. I did Vegas. I never went to Vegas. We talked about that last time maybe. Yes. We get to talk. To, we did. And then I did D.C. There after. you've been. Now, D.C. is a fun place for a person like me. I like it there. You like politics. I like politics. and I like the language of policy. Yes. Right? But the difference between, I said this in last week's show two weeks ago and I wanted to throw it out to you, difference between D.C. and New York is Rome. D.C. is like Rome and New York is like Babylon. Okay? Mm-hmm. Buffel. Yeah. I, I, these, like, Rome is like power, global power, Pentagon, that whole thing. Law right. and justice. Right. And it's not a very Jewish city. No. It doesn't feel Jewish. Nope. They don't say little cutesy Jewish things. It's all like white marble stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's like big, <laughs> yeah. long, big stairs, buildings named Longworth. Okay? Yeah, something like that. Cannon building. Okay. Um yeah like big big you know these like I see where
1: you're going with this edifices. in
0: Babylon New York. Right and in, Be- in New York you come in you're like I always tell people I made Khatsialia I came to New York. Uh-huh. Is but there's a rambam that says ba- Bavel you're not supposed to leave Bavel. That's like Gemara. a Jewish right it's come on that's a Jewish area you're not supposed to really leave it unless of course
1: Going there to Israel, and yes, even then right. it was a
0: it was a Shiloh. That's right, it was a Shiloh. Those times, not Those today. Time.
1: No, no. Not too. Anyway, you're not hanging out So
0: it. here, but here we are back in Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, you're Kodesh, a thank city God. that re- yeah, and yeah, and Thank God. And I never God. left. That's, never that's left. my style. That's right. I, I really try not Last to. Last trip anywhere. you had was to Belarus or something. No, right? that's
1: not true. I went to Limud in the UK. Oh, the UK
0: Limud of course.
1: That's true. That was, but there were enough Jews there. There was like main eretz Israel. Yeah, yeah that, that was little, a good time. Little taste the land Israel. It was good. Yeah, I I don't know if I go back.
0: Listen, the reason we fly is because we got to hold hands across the continent or the Atlantic. We got to hold hands.
1: Listen, I have the great advantage. We're sitting here at the Pardes Institute. They, they come to me, right, and it's a real privilege.
0: Well, we're coming to folks right now through the Land of Israel Network, and that's also a great privilege. And we have a Torah portion of the uh, of the of the uh, offerings variety.
1: We're in the Book of Offerings. We're
0: in the Book of Offerings, though. I think that's that's it's not totally true because there's there's also going to be all kinds of. Regular laws. Oh, no question. Um, but,
1: but the core essence of Vayikra, right? You know, the sages have their own names for each of the books of the Torah. And this one they call Tratquanim. right? This is the book of the priests, of, the, of the, the people who are meant to serve as that bridge, like you said. If we're reaching out our hands across the Atlantic to world Jewry. So this book is reaching out its hands between heaven and earth. And it's, a, uh, I would say, a blueprint of how a person in their service in this world can connect to the infinite. Right, and so therefore the offerings are central to that.
0: Right, uh, oh, you know. Okay, so you, you just said you just made a conclusory remark, which is the offerings are, are central to that. There are some different differences of opinion even amongst the the great uh, scholars of the Middle Ages about what is the relationship that we should have towards these texts, how we can understand the the the, the offerings. The Rambam uh, sees it more as a kind of alternative to idolatry, right? Yeah, well the Rambam has a general principle which he's following in the footsteps of the
1: sages that, that the Torah speaks to humanity as they actually are and it's an educational book. There are certain, certain things that the Torah forbids outright you know, and, and plenty of them There are other things that the Torah permits but then becomes sort of a a legislative weight that it tries to erase, like slavery is probably the greatest example, um, which is permissible in the Torah, but the sages took it upon themselves to essentially legislate it out of existence. Um, And then there's the sacrifices. The Rambam says this is actually addressing a basic human need. And and not only that, but in the context of the world in which the Torah was given, it was something which all humanity did. And so therefore to erase it would be to basically... um, take the heart out of how humanity in the time of the Torah understood divine service. Right? And he therefore held, at least in the in the Mornevuchin, in the in the Guide to the Perplex, that the details of the sacrificial service are not essential. That they're essentially, like, it has to be some way. So make it a goat and, and two sheep and the kidneys and uh, Shalom Yisrael. But the Ramban, Nachmanis, Wait, 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 before we yeah. go to the Ramban. Um, yeah. But
0: I also understood that he he saw it as, the, the Maimonis, the Rambam saw it as a kind of, uh tit for tat vis-a-vis the idolatrous practices so certain things that are legislated for example not to mix uh, uh linen and wool linen and wool it's because that was a form of idolatry yeah. Yeah. or or for exactly cooking a kids in a, uh, and the rambam claimed in the guide to the perplexed that he had he had found a book that basically detailed all the various idolatries, you know, and, and, he, and he saw within this book this, like, idolatry where they're cooking a kid in its mother's milk, and so the Torah tells you, don't do these kind of I things. I hear that.
1: I'm wary of deducing what the Rambam really thought from the Guide to Perplex, because the Rambam also says there that really the ideal mode of divine worship is prayer, and there's at least an implication that the sacrifices were temporary and are not meant to be restored. That's fine and well and there's what to be talk, spoken about there but, but in, in the Mishnah Torah and his great legal work he devotes an enormous amount of print, time and energy to all the specific details of the sacrificial service. So it's a little hard to accept what people very glibly in my opinion say, oh the Rambam didn't hold that the sacrifices were, right. were essential.
0: I mean and, 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 and another understanding that glibness is to look just at the Torah itself. Does the Torah spill a lot of meaningless ink. To me, that, that, that that's, that's what's clincher for me. Now, I don't understand sacrifices any better than anybody else, nor do I have a great inclination for sacrifices, really? offerings. I don't, but, but... I have a tremendous desire. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. Some people do, right? And I, and I think that's great. But I have a feeling that the Torah did not spill ink for, for, for purposeless ink.
1: No, I mean, listen, we could detail through the ages all the explanations, but... Um, I would offer you and everyone that's listening this, is that if you haven't spent time not only reading these sections of the Torah, but it's an essential part of our prayer service, in the morning and the afternoon, the sacrificial sections of the, Torah the, the sections of the Torah that deal with the sacrifice of the morning and the afternoon, which are a devotion. And not just a devotion as an end unto themselves, but they're a way of imbibing the language of sanctity and divine service, which are really rooted in the
0: sacrificial service. But it's tricky for a lot of people, and the I'm text no of, the text itself is not uh, a dramatic reading. You know, it's like take of this and out of this, take of this and out of that, and okay, it's I not, mean, it's, it's, I'm just I'm just saying there's a type of. My, I'm all, all all I'm saying here, and, and not, and I'm not in any way saying it with with uh, with great glibness. F- yeah, with, and fanfare. <laughs> I'm just saying it's it's hard for some. people. It is hard. Now
1: that I don't question. Listen, yeah. I'm well familiar with that. Prayer in general is hard for people.
0: Right, but I think people want to talk to. God about I'm talking
1: about liturgy, like you know, right. like someone else's words, taken from the Bible, taken from the tradition. Right. It's a big challenge. Right. It's a lot of the work I do here.
0: Okay, so in this Torah portion is Tzav, the second Torah portion of um, of the book of Leviticus, right? Levit- I mean, that gives it away. Also, Leviticus. The that is from Torah Kneim. Torah right? Kneim. So in the first Aliyah, the Torah describes the ma- uh, uh, mandatory detail daily removal of ashes from the altar. Yes. Okay. Trumat hadeshen. Right. This, is the, this was the first order of the day in the, in the temple service. You got to like clean out that. This is, but this is a great example of what I'm speaking about. Is that
1: may, I can look at like a technical detail. You know, okay, you got to clear out the ashes before you start the new fire. Or you could just look at it as this was the divine command. Don't ask me why. But as a spiritual principle, it's incredibly important. Is that you cannot start today until you are sure that you're done with yesterday. Right. And there must be an act of devotion, which is I'm going to take the ashes of yesterday. Yesterday's over, but it's still the residue is still sitting on me. The first thing I'm going to do today is I'm going to make a conscious action of offering up that residue. I'm going to remove it to clear the space. I'm going to put it where it can just be erased mm-hmm. from the world, and then I'm going to build the new and, day.
0: And what you're saying now, by the way, is is something that a lot of the psychology books, even the old psychology books, like. Uh, What's his name? How to win friends and influence people? Uh, 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 Carnegie. Carnegie. Yeah, Carnegie. He writes like one of the ways to deal with stresses is, is is deal with one day compartments. Like like clean out the j- just today. Yep. Today we also say uh, we we and these days we say uh, there's a verse Hayom in bekolotisshmo. Today, right. all you have to do is today. All you have to deal with is today. Face the challenges. One of today, day at a time. One day at a time. Another uh, great phrase in this uh, first Torah the first Aliyah is Esh Tami Tukadalamispeach. <laughs> Right, A continuous or eternal fire shall burn upon the altar, it shall not go out. That's right. What does that mean to us? I
1: mean, it can mean a lot of things, but to me, there is um, an obligation, a twofold commitment, in fact, one positive, one negative, um, to to keep the flame burning. It doesn't happen on its own, right? It, it, the flame so of on divine the, so service... So on, on
0: the one hand, you got to get rid of yesterday.
1: You got to clear out yesterday, and at the same but, time, you can't let the flame go out. Right. Right and 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 by the way, you notice in the you know the H Tami Lotich Be shows you not only have an obligation to keep the flame burning, but don't put it out. We have an instinct that that we want to like squelch that that spark of the divine within us, because we often experience it as constraining or confining or it makes us strange in the eyes of others. therefore, like if I could just put that out then I could just be normal like everybody else. And unfortunately, we know from Jewish history that that instinct is quite strong in our people and is or more or less always a failure. I mean, yes. it might work for individuals or even communities, but it, it, it doesn't happen in Am Israel.
0: If we had more time, I would talk about some some news stories that have something to do with what you're talking about, but our time is limited. Maybe we'll talk about it with Malka. Uh, section two of the Torah portion, it talks about the priestly meal offering, right? So we think of offerings a lot of times as as killing an animal
1: goats sheep goats sheep, sheep, cows. sheep
0: uh, you know cat that's a big one right a big cat oh uh but but here it turns out that there's all kinds of like bread like oil on top of fine flour there's all kinds of uh, uh um meal offerings yeah the like korban mincha right it's brought by the high priest twice daily and by every priest on the day he is first induced inducted excuse me into temple service and <laughs> um um and it, it but I mean, it's
1: also the most basic offering of the poor. Right.
0: And there's, a, there's a very
1: important lesson in that um, you, know, you can understand the whole service on the altar as an attempt to unify all of the aspects of creation from the dirt and uncut stone that the altar is meant to be built from through the vegetable you know, and in, the, in the meal offering and the oil and the wine all the way through life and, and ultimately through the actions and the consciousness of the priest, which is very important to note is that the, the, a priest who makes an offering, he does it all physically, technically correct, but his mind is focused on the wrong thing, so that offering is, is invalid.
0: I don't know if people know to which extent we take this, uh, this principle. For example, if there's a scribe who has some kind of idolatrous beliefs, but he writes a Torah that is perfect, flawless, flawless has the name of God, the tetragrammaton, written perfectly every time, but in his mind he believed in, I don't know what, Baal or something else, We take that Torah and we burn it.
1: That's right. We don't just not use it.
0: Right. We burn it.
1: That's because ultimately one of the things that this whole sacrificial service comes to teach us is that our consciousness is not separate from creation. It emerges from the depths of it. So therefore... When I do something as seemingly visceral, pun intended, as animal sacrifice, right? But when it's done with the proper consciousness, it actually allows God's will to flow through oh. all levels of creation. So then
0: wants. we uh, then I cut you off earlier about the Ramban. Yes, that perspective. Let's jump back into that. So Ramban's I mean, the Ramban's perspective.
1: The Ramban is, has, a, has a number of perspectives. This is Nachmanides, Nachmanides. About a
0: hundred years after Ramban. True,
1: thirteenth century sage living in Christian Spain. Right. Um, who who made Aliyah? Well, I mean, yes, he was expelled from Spain and he decided to come to the land of Israel, which he had dreamed of doing his whole life. But and he was here for just a few years and wrote his commentary on the Chumash for which we should be eternally grateful. Amazing.
0: Yes. Um, sadly, uh, sadly and this bothers me to no end, the Ramban's tomb is lost.
1: That's right, but he was instrumental in finding the tombs of so many others and making sure that we knew where they were.
0: I really feel that if somebody put their mind to it, we could find it. Little it's one homework of these things.
1: For you, folks. I want you to raise a million dollars so that Yishai can de- dedicate the next 20 years of his life <laughs> to finding the tomb of the Ramban. Well,
0: if we went all the way to finding Ehud, uh, the Ehud Netzer found uh, uh, Herod's tomb. Yeah. We, it wouldn't it be it great it, if we could find the Nachmanides? It is definitely possible. It's doable.
1: Okay, folks, 500,000. Okay. He'll do it for five I'll do it for five hundred. Okay, go ahead. On. Right. Um, so one of the things, the thing that speaks to me most, actually, because the Ramban has an extensive analysis of the various ways to understand it, but in, in essence, is that it should be me there on the altar.
0: Right. Meaning to say, I'm looking at first thing. It's very important for people to know before you put that offering on the uh, to get slaughtered, and then on the pyre over there, you gotta p- lean your hands on it. Full body weight. You gotta push your push down on its head. You right. gotta push on its head, and you gotta kind of transference. So it's a type of like, I'm you, you're me. Here's my strength, and then and then according to the Ramban, when you're looking at that thing being burnt up. Or 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 uh, slaughtered slaughtered blood or skin the whole yeah. thing you got to be like that's me but because that's, uh, uh, the
1: the whole idea of what we're after here is kapara it's atonement there's been a violation of relationship that I have used myself in a way in which opposes the will of God in the world and really from an absolute justice standpoint. God is the one who gave me life. I'm going to use the thing that God gave me in order to defy God, so therefore God will take away my life. It's very simple. You would do the same thing, if, right? If you gave someone a gun and they happened to use it against you, wouldn't you take it away? Well, let's not go there. Um, but uh, the, the point is, is the Ramban says it's actually an act of mercy that God gives us this um, so incredibly cathartic experience. And it's important to remember, too, we live in a media-saturated world full of colors and sounds and shapes and smells. Right? But when you went to the temple like the white marble and the and the smell of the incense and the music of the levim and, and the sound of the goats as they're being slaughtered in that river of blood, literally a, a channel of blood flowing out from the courtyard, that would make an impression on you for the rest of your life. Darn straight it would. <laughs>
0: yeah, the smell, the sound. Everything. And, and I want to tell you, when I lived on the Mount of Olives, uh, when I would do the... Pesach Seder every year I'd be like come on this is not it we're so this close. is not it but this is not it I Maram, we're reading I'm having my kids manishtana okay okay manishtana it's beautiful it's old it's ancient it's beautiful but I want to be out there with fire in the nostrils I want to yeah. smell I want to see I want it night time and this like big lit up temple and, 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 and like a eating. roasted
1: goat in the middle right. of the table. Right, like
0: that's what I'm talking about here, yes. you know, and, and it, it's it's not visceral enough. Yeah. It's, it's a little too Woody Allenish a little bit right now Well, for us. listen, we're a people
1: that has lived in abstraction for 2,000 years. It's not lived so easy to, to, to re-embody. I like that. I like we'll that. talk about that. I mean, in my I opinion, like Zionism is a movement for the re-embodiment of the
0: truth Yes, culture. yes, yes, yes. And I feel like my- With all my, of
1: its various- Right. Like, my psyche
0: that. is like that. Like, my psyche like rejects a lot of times when things, when people talk in a disembodied way. I start to spockify. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> that's not logical. You know, it's just like, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about tachlis, getting it done. Yeah. And whenever you get it done, it's like the biggest joyous feeling. Like, when I, if, I, if I have the schud to, like, put up a flag somewhere, I'm like, yes, yes.
1: Because you've made it real in the world. Right. And that's what the sacrifice is about. Ooh. All the ideas that you have about God. You're now going to bring to the knife's edge, literally, and you're going to make it real in the world. And by the way, for the animal lovers out there, first I want to say that I've been a vegetarian for over 20 years. And in my understanding that the, the willingness of humanity to spill endless rivers of human blood tells us that we could actually be well served by sacrifice. Let people see what death actually looks like with their own hands, and they might just be a little bit less
0: willing to apply it to others. Okay, or or I'll I'll say what you said, but just a tad differently. Channel that need, that thing. I think people have an internal need for war and violence, for I blood, think, for, for bloodshed. Right, for bloodshed. There's, and and channel it the right way. This um, is It's tikkun. It's, 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 tikkun. it's right. fixing. Right. That's 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 a concept that I can see a lot of people in in at Pardes You know, would not be able to if, swallow. If anyone's easily. interested,
1: I have a beautiful piece from Ruff Cook that speaks directly about it. That I'm happy to share with anyone. He was, of course, a kohen. Um, also dedicated to the ideal of vegetarianism and believed that though the sacrifices would return in their literal sense for a brief period of time, that ultimately the messianic vision of the temple was a vegetarian
0: vision. Which is uh, a contested uh, uh, proposition. We'll just know when we get there. Right. Let's go to the third Aliyah and we have to hurry up because we have about 10 minutes before you have to teach class. Um, we have the Thanksgiving offering and also the peace offering. Let's talk about those two, right? These are, these are happy offerings. Other offerings have, have a lot of uh, sin. sin involved, atonement involved, and, or, or some kind of impurity involved that you're trying to get rid of. Here's a Thanksgiving offering. Like, <clears throat> I really want to say thank you, God. Yeah,
1: well, it's important to note that the word hoda'a, or, or Corbin Toda in this case, right, has kind of it bears two meanings. One is Thanksgiving for sure. Right, what we call hakarat hatov, right. gratitude. Um, the other is milashon hit vadut. There's an, a, a, a testimony, giving a testimony or acknowledgement. It's not just gratitude. It's a recognition of the source of all creation. Right? And so you're taking a portion of what is and you're essentially giving it back to its maker. And the fact that I'm able to be a vehicle to sort of reunite some piece of creation with creator is a source of great joy for me. And it's bringing, like you said, the, the peace offering is a bring of wholeness and peace to the world. Wait. So, what's the difference between a, a, a what's the is a peace offering given? So, peace offerings are very simple. The the um the Pesach, the Paschal offering, right? The Pesach um, is considered a subcategory of the peace offering. Um, it, and
0: here it's it's called by the way it doesn't it's called
1: Shlamim. Yeah, peace is already a trans a, a translation. It's a, it's a wholeness, right? But not whole. It's not an olah. It's not burnt in its entirety. Its wholeness is found in the fact that there's something for everybody, so to speak. There's some that gets burned on the altar. There's something that gets eaten by the kohanim, the priests, and there's some that gets eaten by the bal korban, by whoever brought it. And in that sense, we're all able, and that's why it's shlamim. We're all able to participate in this process of rectification.
0: And and korban uh, olah. Mm-hmm. When is that? That's 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 the it's a twice daily. And it totally Cor- gets burnt.
1: Corbin tamid, and there are other times. Yes, it's a complete consu- consumption.
0: I heard. Uh, I learned the most incredible thing. The word Holocaust.
1: Yes. Means means a, a total, whole offering.
0: Totally burnt. Yes. Or a, or a whole offering. Yes. And and if you look in an old chumash. Yes, that's what they the call the they called, it, they called it a, the yes. Holocaust offering.
1: Yes, yes. It's 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 hard for us to assimilate, obviously, because we the Holocaust is something very different. Um, and who, yet who
0: who did that? Who like called the Holocaust? Well, I mean you can
1: see it's a, it's a very it's a very strong theological stance right. on what the Shoah was. Right. But but who who made that? Who I don't know. That's an
0: interesting question. Shoah does not mean Holocaust. No. It means like a, a, a disaster, destruction. Right. I you know, uh, uh, kind of, you know, ethnic cleansing, but yeah, right. big one.
1: No, but uh, yes. Um, who,
0: may, who used that English term?
1: Holocaust. I don't know. It's an interesting question because it's you see how they infused a theo- very specific theological meaning yeah. into that historical tragedy. Mm-hmm.
0: Tragedy. I, I I don't I haven't right now. I'll tell you the truth. I'll, I, I, I'm sensitive. Se- I'm sensitive about that word right now. The uh, the uh, American ambassador Friedman tweeted out. Tragedy in Jerusalem, something like. Look, guys, don't say tragedy. Say what it is, which is a heinous crime. It's a mm-hmm. crime. It's a crime. It's not. It's not a tragedy. Tragedy is when you're trapped in Kansas and the hurricane blows your farm and kills all the animals or somebody gets killed. That's a tragedy. Okay. This is this is not a tragedy. They did the same thing at, at September 11th. It was a tragedy. It was a tragedy. It's, it, it's a horrific crime Somebody's got to pay A tragedy Nobody's got to pay
1: Well listen actually we, we don't need to debate it right now But I think it's important to note That it bears both meanings Meaning the fact that it's a tragedy Doesn't absolve the perpetrators From their responsibility But there's a different inner posture That comes with relating something as a crime In which case my primary desire is for justice Right And so relating something as a tragedy Where my primary desire is healing
0: Right exactly That's right.
1: exactly how it's coming. So I got news for you That justice ain't coming why? It ain't coming.
0: Oh, uh, it's coming. <laughs> Why not? Why not? You you, ha- Let's wait, you have we'll, do on, on we'll do a
1: show on on Yoma Show. We'll do a show on Show. And you have
0: to demand it in any case. I'm not. I'm, I'm talking about a crime that happened just now. I'm uh, not talking, by about, way, talking by about the way, Holocaust. Weirdly, here, 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 I got to tell you, we're ta- speaking of Holocaust. Uh, 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 in in the last week and a half, three Jews have been murdered.
1: Yes, less than <laughs> week and a half. Le- le- what a am t- I t- talking about? Yeah. Air Shabbos, uh, uh, Friday. Two soldiers were murdered and yesterday, and just yesterday, this uh, this young man was murdered in the old city.
0: You know, and it's just like, and I, I I detest the fact that we have been rage has been taken away from our people. We're not allowed to rage. It's we're like above rage. We're not allowed to rage. It's, you're not allowed to. We, get
1: yeah, it. we look down on it as a, as a crude and barbarian posture. I
0: think that is so wrong. I cannot I cannot express it. It's hard it's for me. It's the Russian I, in you. Yeah, I cannot express to you how wrong I think that is. I think that rage is absolutely key as a Middle Easterner. I think absolutely it's got to, they have to know that we get enraged. We don't just grin and bear it. We don't turn the other cheek and all that business. That's, that's just not right. We, we have to get viscerally angry, let the dragon of Israel rise up, or the lion, the, line, line, of the, the line of Israel. Okay, whatever it is, <laughs> I just want like a fire-breathing, angry thing. You know <laughs> what I mean? Okay, fire That line, line, if you like, that's right. The, the pagans. You know, a uh, fine, that's fine. But you know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm giving an image here. But you're right. You know, let's use a biblical image. I agree with you. Okay, the the lion of Israel riseth up, and it just it just it takes and down it, its enemies. Yeah. You know, and it has it doesn't. That's what never again is supposed to mean. Like if you're in the Holocaust and you're totally disembodied as a nation, and you get this this Holocaust happening to you. Okay, so. You know, uh, It
1: fits into right, so man, Because can, of our sins Because that's the only outlet To make
0: sense of it and, and maybe that is the only outlet To make sense of it But here in Israel Where justice is at our fingertips well, We the, must administer the, it this
1: is, this is a part of a larger discussion I don't know that rage actually Is an is a adequate response I think that justice would be an adequate response. And and justice is not served by rage. And part of the problem here is that we have not established within our country a sense of real justice that will allow us to punish the wicked and let the righteous prosper. And therefore, when that fails us, like, why do you think it is that the the security forces in our country, as soon as something, some murder like this happens, they do two things. They start searching for the perpetrators and they start putting lockdown on the right-wing activists amongst the Jews. Because they understand that they've failed and that, and that the, the people who are feeling that rage are not going to allow that failure to repeat itself over and over.
0: Right. Because they have not, I would say just a shade differently, they have not adequately given vent to that rage in the form of immediate and harsh justice. Okay, fine. And it's because I sense that the state is not going to do that, okay. and therefore, you know, and may, may even do the opposite in many situations, it causes great frustration. It causes this not to have any vent, not any truth. We've got to wrap it up, so let's keep going. Um, the next big thing, and that's going to be the the, the next uh, four aliyot, four sections, is really about the induction of the priests and the inauguration of the temple. Seemingly an endless thing, like, yeah, like, it, just like keeps it just keeps happening. We did we do, we do this an last Inauguration, week. and yet again and again, right? And in this case, you have the uh, uh, Moses. He's sacrificing a bullock and a ram as burnt offerings. Uh, he offers a second ram, and the fats are burnt on the altar along with some breads. And then in, in the end, the completing of the process of the initiation, of the priests, Moses, Moses is going to anoint them uh, with the holy anointing oil, yet another step, which is mixed with some of the blood from the altar. Ooh, that's. I don't know, see. those white clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Moses instructs the priests regarding the consumption of sacrificial meats, tells them that this entire process will be repeated for the following six days. During the seventh day inaugural uh, uh, inauguration, they're not to leave the confines. Of the tabernacle
1: I mean this is a pattern Which will Sort of from here on out Establish itself In our relationship To sanctity That there's a seven day period Which culminates in an eighth And, and um, we yeah, well, see which is in an eighth yes. In an eighth We see this in Hanukkah We'll see it in Sukkot We see it all over That these, these seven days Of the world as we know it And when you fulfill them at each step, just like with the sacrifices, when you fulfill them, that something new can actually emerge, something can flow through it. In this case, um, it's the ability to really connect the infinite and the finite, to make our actions in this world not just sort of symbolic expressions of what we believe ought to be, but, but real embodiments of the divine will in the world in which we live. And that's really, to me, the essence of this whole book, and certainly of Parshat
0: When you read these it is said that if you read them properly, it's as though you actually fulfilled the offering of the sacrifice. Trying, trying to do that for right, sure. Right, but, but that, that, is, that is a Jewish concept, which is that reading it and, and having this in mind. And, and, and picturing, it, picturing it, by the way. picturing it, and I was going to say exactly that the Temple Institute and others, but mostly the Temple Institute, have done a fine job of, of creating these images so that we can really have a sense of what they're like, and even today, even more so now here in Israel, there are uh, reenactments of this business in order so that people can really have a visualization of
1: it. And I want to just tell you one thing, and then i got to run, that is a fascinating element that modern neuroscience has added to that insight. You know, the the, the neuroscientists will tell us that when you bend down and pick up a hammer and swing it and hit a nail, there's a certain pattern of neurons in your brains that fires in order to make that happen. And if you sit in a chair and you picture yourself Doing the exact same thing, the same neurons will fire. Which means in your mind, picturing the act of the sacrifices is the exact same as doing it. The only thing that lacks is your body. And that's why I believe in a time of disembodiment when we were in exile or when we have not yet, as we are now, achieved full redemption, rebuilt the temple speedily in our day, then it's so important to follow those neurons, to, 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 to awaken the imagination, to make sure that it, consciousness can precede action in this case so that when,
0: in God's grace, we have the opportunity for action, consciousness is ready to fulfill it. Amen. Absolutely, and it's not, it's not an easy task that you've set for us here to really uh, picture these sacrifices. At least for me, I'm I'm just telling honestly. Drop uh, me a
1: line if you want to talk more about that because I'm actually quite passionate for a vegetarian on this subject.
0: Very good. There you go. There you go. Well, that's why you're a vegetarian, right? Because uh, it's
1: part of it. But we can have the discussions on it.
0: All right, folks. So Rabbi Mike Foyer is easy to reach at RavMike at thelandofisrael.com. You can reach me at Yeshai at thelandofisrael.com. Check out Rabbi Mike's Facebook Facebook page at RavMike. Facebook.com Mark Zuckerberg's little gig there uh, forward slash Ruv Mike
1: Another Jewish plot
0: Another little Jewish plot Imagine if he would teach the sacrifices to the world. He has the power to teach the whole world anything To sacrifice right governments. Yeah, <laughs> he can do whatever he wants now if he would just teach it. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. We are going to keep going with the show. Uh, we'll have more stuff, so stay tuned right after this. And uh, let's go. Let's, let's do those sacrifices. Let's bring ourselves a little higher. Let's see ourselves on that pyre. Let's see ourselves at the same time as those priests really trying to bring the world closer to God. Rabbi Mike, thank you so much for this short but intense period that you had with us today. Always a pleasure. God bless you, folks. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, folks. We're back here on the Yeshai Fleischer Show, now broadcasting from Judea. That's right. We're in my uh, slightly messy office. Still haven't uh, totally figured it out yet, but I'm here at my house. And Eli Piepsh, who is the Director of International Affairs at the Yeshel Council, the Council of Judea and Samaria, is here with me. Ellie ran the mega successful event at APAC, which you heard much about on this program. Um, and that's because I got a chance to MC it. But Ellie was behind the scenes. He really made it happen. Um, and now Ellie is with me here in uh, beautiful Judea. Shalom, Ellie.
2: Ishai, it's such a pleasure to be with you in your latest and most beautiful home here in Yudavish Thank
0: you. Thank you. We did sit on the Mir Peset on the uh, on the balcony out there for the last few hours. and that took to care of a lot of business, but it was fun certainly to see the rolling hills of Judea uh, here and and really to to see Bethlehem and Jerusalem and down to the Hebron hills. One of the things I love is you pull out of you pull out of this town and there 's a sign that says Bethlehem Jerusalem to the right, and then Hebron Beersheba, Beersheba. to the left and you 're just like yes that's <laughs> that 's where I want to be and david 's flock of sheep straight ahead that 's right david's <laughs> flock of sheep that 's right that 's right in fact, I did see some flocks of sheep. Um, But let's keep going and let's get the sheep out of here and get the flock out of here, excuse me, and uh, keep going with our issues. First thing, uh, uh, something's coming to town, and that is something that, on on the one hand, long awaited for, long expected ever since 1995, Jerusalem Embassy Act. Uh, It's been what? It's been uh, 20 years, more than 20 years, 23 years since that law came into being. And it seemed as though that law was one of these things that was just going to become moot. Every right. president was going to wave it every six months, and suddenly comes this uh, enigmatic, uh, uh, impulsive president. Everybody says he's impulsive. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we'll fire you in on a tweet, right? And at the same time, um, he has, with that impulsiveness, gave a very, in my opinion, a very rational speech about... That, that there's a law that says that Jerusalem is going to be the capital of, of Israel recognized by America as the capital of Israel uh, and there's a reality on the ground and there's a historical reality and I'm just going to do the normal thing. I'm going to recognize that all with Christmas trim in the background if you remember that speech <laughs> that was really a lot of fun uh, and of course with this kind of smart like this kind of stern and and but 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 like but proud face of Vice President Pence in the background right uh, that's what happened and now it's coming to to be. Uh, in in mid May here in Jerusalem, uh, we're going to be uh, at a inauguration uh, of this new embassy, which is where the consulate is today, and there's going to be an, M- an American embassy in Jerusalem. And with that, always re- with them, the the Robin to America's Batman is Guatemala, right? <laughs> and it's just ready to to follow suit. And but we hope we hope others as well. So tell me a little bit about this. This this uh, you you have your ear to the ground of of what's happening in Washington. Uh, tell me a little bit about this impetuous president who seems to be um, understanding the basic things that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel.
2: Yeshai, I think you touched on a, a detail which I think actually highlights President Trump's approach very, very, very nicely. You mentioned that there was Christmas trim in the background and how incongruous that seems to be. Making a statement that is very uh, embraced by the Jewish world, and you've got Christmas in the background. The reality is that is the core of President Trump's strength, that what everybody else would make sure that they have the designers to lay it out, to have the blue and white in the background and have in the foreground maybe some, uh, you know, a menorah, something to show that there is something Jewish about this. President Trump doesn't care. He's just when he sees a certain truth or he sees a certain clarity, he goes with it. And I think that's what the American people respond to who voted for him. Um, that's what many people don't like his clarity, don't like his perspective. But when it comes to Israel, he has been very uniquely able to see through a lot of the sludge that often gets uh gets people confused um and i think the embassy is one of those things and initially uh the event that you're talking about or that you refer to was his recognition of jerusalem again he didn't make jerusalem great again jerusalem is great he just recognized the reality um, and i don't know how much he was impacted by the fact that there was a law passed in 1995 that the Congress recognized Jerusalem as our capital. I think that's nice that he had it, but the reality is he looked at what was happening. He looked at Israel. He looked at the state. And anybody who comes here, anybody who has a real awareness, understands that Jerusalem is our capital, even if all of the European uh, countries have their embassies in Tel Aviv. That's irrelevant. Um, so he needed to add a certain level of clarity and reality and truth uh, to the conversation about Israel. Um, And you see that that's how he went ahead with most of the rest of his policy regarding Israel. Um, One of the the big successes as well was the passing of the Taylor Force Act. The Taylor Force Act, Taylor Force was an American veteran um, who was a student, who was a graduate student, getting his MBA, came to Israel and was killed in a terror attack in Tel Aviv, outside Yafo, right near, I think in in Yafo. And when the American public became aware that the, the, um, the, the killer of this man, his family, were going to be receiving uh, payments from the Palestinian Authority, where those payments originate from. They originate from the American taxpayer through tax dollars that are paid to the Palestinians, uh, to the Palestinian Authority. Um, there was a certain level of outrage, and we started working on passing the Taylor Force Act to prevent what's known as pay-to-slay um, paying terrorists uh, for their actions. Um, For their actions of killing Jews. And when President Trump saw that, even though it had been working a little bit through Congress, President Trump went ahead and pushed it through um, and made sure that it happened. And it did. And it got passed. And now we're at a point where no longer will American taxpayers be paying directly towards uh, this for these kinds of terrorist terrorist acts. You go look at the UN. We're talking just
0: just to just to put one one finer point: three hundred fifty-five million dollars a year, out of the Palestinian Authority budget goes to pay families of terrorists. Right. <laughs> I sometimes like find it to be a little bit like, you know, absurd that people like Prime Minister Netanyahu will say, "Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister, uh, 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 what's he, Abu Mazen." Uh, uh, he says, uh, "You know, President Abu Mazen, you know." When are you going to stop paying terrorists? But to me, it's like, but that's what he does. That's he he, he does. pays terrorists. So that's what he believes in. And in fact, if we remember, nineteen seventy-two, the Munich massacre was the finances behind the Munich massacre was who was in charge of that? Mahmoud Abbas. Okay, so this guy has been paying for slaying for a long time. He's no peacemaker. No. Definitely not. Definitely not. And 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 if we're ready on topic, and I want to I want to get back to to where you were going, but but let us also uh, touch on the news that's been happening in that it was a few uh, months ago now that in a speech Mahmoud Abbas uh, said about uh, David Friedman, the ambassador, he said about a mihram betak, which means your house should be destroyed. A lot of people kind of said, oh, that's not such a bad term in Arabic. Your house should be destroyed actually means I love you so much. Uh, but, but, but people, there was a sense. But then uh, uh, coming afterwards, uh, this week, um, he uh, in, a, in a speech, uh, Mahmoud Abbas referred to again David Friedman, the Jew, uh, as a son of a dog, a son of a dog, in ibn kalb, right, a, a mm-hmm. son of a dog, uh, and uh, in a uh, in a Jerusalem gathering about anti semitism, David Friedman himself said that that he regards this uh, attack on his character as anti semitism, uh, which I think was a, a kind of a little bit surprising and maybe he went out on a diplomatic limb really saying, like, well, these remarks are not anti-policy, but they are, in fact, anti-Semitic against me personally, and it kind of personalized the whole thing. And I'm wondering, right, I'm wondering, like, where's Mahmoud Abbas going with all this? I don't think that he's a madman. I think that he's uh, he's calculated.
2: Yeah, I think he's calculated as well. I think that he is trying to muddy the water so much that should there be, if the Trump administration was actually going to present some sort of comprehensive plan to resolve the conflict. Mahmoud Abbas does not want to accept it because he doesn't want to accept any kind of peace plan because he wants to keep fighting until he can push us into the river or the sea. Um, And as a result, um, he knows that he's on very um, limited, he doesn't have very much, uh, he's on very thin ice in the international community, And in the Arab world, because he's seeing that much of the Gulf states led by Saudi Arabia are inching and really not really inching. They're getting close to embracing Israel. And he's understanding that the Arab world is no longer really with him. So he is trying to get the Arab street so riled up that anything that comes from President Trump is... Is toxic in the same way that you'll see in the states the resistance movement anything that Trump does is absolutely horrible he's taking their cues directly from them and he understands in the international community there is a lot more people who are anti-Trump than those who are pro-Trump and so, he's, he's, trying so to- he's
0: basically instead of being like okay it's an American president <clears throat> I'll work with him as much as I can he's basically trying to isolate the American president mm-hmm. also and lining up as the world is becoming more bifurcated more uh, Polarized Yeah Like in America He's like okay So my job right now Is to be on that polar side I gotta line up With the folks That are with me And and he understands That the Trump administration Is not with him He understands that He understands that Absolutely So, he, so instead of like Kind of like You know Playing ball with it Like let's say A Netanyahu Prime Minister Netanyahu Playing ball On one level or another mm-hmm. With President Obama Right who he probably also understood as being anti-Israel but yeah. was able to still stay with America with uh w- with the administration one level or another. Mahmoud
2: um, Abbas is not doing that. Yeah. He's 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 going all out. He's, exactly. He's making clear he's he knows he can't go backwards. So he's making it as clear as day who his side is on and that if you're with him with with the Palestinians, you're against Israel. Then you need to be against President Trump, and and that, that he's making it very very clear.
0: Right, but I wonder. Now, do you think that that's a? Uh, do you think that's a strategy that's going to work in his favor?
2: I or think. do I mean, you think that
0: he's going to p- put him more actually at odds, more outside of the consensus?
2: I, I think that it, w- it will it will make his his tent smaller. Um, I think the possibility that he might he knows he's going to have to pick up f- uh, international funding from someone else because Nikki Haley and President Trump are going to be withholding funding. So he is trying to go ahead and making sure that the Europeans and other friendly Arab countries will make up for those lack of funding. Because that's really what, at this point, that's what the PA is all about, is making right. sure there's funding. Because if they don't have funding, if they can't pay off enough people, um, then it's going to fall apart and they're going to implode and Hamas or whoever will take over.
0: It's important to remember that exactly during that Jerusalem announcement, there was a alternative press conference in Europe with Mogherini and with Mahmoud Abbas at that very minute, saying, like, we're still going to make whole whatever you're not going to get from the Americans. That that was really, it was like a one-to-one event that they had. But you were talking about also President Trump's um, other policy points.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the other big thing really is Nikki Haley, what she's been doing at the UN with the, the push of the Trump administration, which has been calling out the U.N. as being a bad actor, as not being honest, not being honest broker, has been trying to withhold funding from various government agencies, uh, from various U.N. agencies, has been pulling the, U- the U.S. out of various U.N. agencies. Um, and there's a recognition that Nikki Haley speaks clearly for the president, and therefore she has real um, clout and people trust her um, with that regard. Um, but also there's a recognition that they mean business. Um, and you can see a certain that in all these cases in jerusalem his attitude the president's attitude towards jerusalem the president's attitude towards u.s taxpayer dollars going to pay families of terrorists and and rewarding terrorists and you see the the u.s government's attitude in the u.n with vis vis israel has all been something that we've all been aware of but he's now doing something that he that whether it's republicans like President Bush or Democrats like President Obama, neither of them were willing to do was just be straight and honest. And by injecting that truth and reality to the conflict, I do believe that he has made a resolution to conflict that much closer or that much more likely, not that it's happening anytime soon, but he's calling out the Palestinians. And what happened um, particularly when it came to the Israeli embassy, the Palestinians, say, hey, there's going to be a tremendous um, you know, response, there's going to be violence, it's going to be such a disruption, everybody's going to go crazy, and it didn't happen. President Trump did is he took away the Palestinians' trump card, which was threatening violence. We've seen it in the past, they've threatened violence publicly. You can only imagine how many times the Palestinians threatened violence privately, but now there's a recognition that even their people are not with them. Nobody's willing to die for Mahmoud Abbas, and that's it. Uh, many of the Palestinians are enjoying a relatively nice life. I think that their dreams, many of their dreams of creating a Palestinian state, having a Palestinian passport, are understood as being kind of empty, meaningless. They have a decent life. They want to. They think they want to continue um and we'll see where it goes but it's largely not going to go that there is going to be a palestinian state led by the palestinian authority led by mahmoud abbas right okay but
0: while the palestinian authority is being weakened there's a new alignment here in the middle east and that is that the palestinian groups are now uh, there's no more talk of peace with those kind of more militant groups they are now going into the sphere of iran And you basically have, let's say, in the Judean Samaria, in the quote-unquote West Bank, where the Palestinian Authority is strong, uh, you have this disillusion, dissipation. But in Gaza, which is run by Hamas, and in southern Lebanon, and now generally in Lebanon altogether, Hezbollah, those are under the Iranian umbrella, Iranian sphere. They are not becoming less militant. More attacks, uh, more rhetoric, more preparation. And there is a sense... That there there could be a breakout of a conflict at any time, and that Iran is a very a militant and serious player, and wants to and, and, and has no, you know, doesn't even doesn't even harbor any discussions of peace. They are at war with Israel, and with war also with the rest of the Arab world. So therefore, even Israel's protection of Saudi Arabia doesn't make them, you know, happy or anything like that. They want they they want us out of the picture. They see us as a contra to their great, uh,
2: certain middle, certainly Middle East hegemony, but even global hegemony goals. So I see this as actually, I think you're absolutely right. and I think this is a very positive development. It harkens back to pre-67, when most of the world saw the conflict as Israel versus the Arabs. Post-67, it was Israel versus the Palestinians. When you look at those two lenses, which one is Israel, the David, and which one is Israel, the Goliath in? Um, we're now getting back to the point as it is um, Israel, the Gulf states, the U.S., some of Europe, versus the Iranian axis. All of a sudden, we now are—we're no longer us, as the big guys against the Palestinians. There's a recognition that Palestinians are on the wrong side of this. Palestinians are becoming Hamas, uh, um, Islamic Jihad, and other related ISIS organizations um, these the world sees as bad actors Israel's is on the other side Israel's is with the US and hopefully at some point begrudgingly Europe may come to their senses and may start this will be the in for Europe to start working with us so I think that new alignment as Israel is responsible for Jews Arabs and Palestinians they go together for a while we the international community saw that Israel was responsible for the fate of Palestinians Um, And I think if we can move to a different alignment altogether um, where we are together with the good actors in in the world um, and the Palestinians and some other, uh, the Iranians and others are are aligned together, um, it will be much more difficult for at that point the world to think that we are responsible for Palestinians, their well-being, their refugees and stuff like that. Um, It's their issue. They made the problem. They need to take care of it. Mm. And, and and but I don't want anybody to mishear it. I think also that
0: uh, this will also free up. Uh, I, th- I think the collapse, if, if such a collapse will come about, I hope it will. But if such a collapse of the Palestinian Authority comes about, you'll also see a lot of Arabs who are going to align themselves with Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to see. Certainly, you're talking about these Gulf states and other states that are afraid of Iran. It's not out of a love of Mordechai, but a, but a, but a, sure. but a hate of Haman. Uh, in this case, almost literally, right? That 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 uh, that parable works. Um, uh, but but you're also going to see a lot of arabs and you, and you see them around here who really are tired of the jihadism of their their parent organizations they're tired of the corruption mm-hmm. the the endemic corruption of of the Palestinian authority and these kind of organizations and so um, and so you are going to also see not just like a Western alliance, but you're also going to see a Middle Eastern alliance yeah. I think that's very
2: important. And I think particularly the Arabs who live here in close to Israeli communities in, in Udava Shomron in Judea and Samaria the ones you know when we lived here five or ten years We're filling each other out. We're now living here 50 years. The Arabs who live here understand we're not the enemy uh, We go shopping together. We drive. We stop at the red lights together. We For better or for worse It's not a normative relationship, but we are here together for a long time. And I think you look at for many Arabs who live near us, not the ones who live in Area A and Area B that we don't, Israelis don't have a chance really to see them, but the area, the Arabs who live close to Israeli communities who do see us on a regular basis. You look at, ask them, do they want to live under Palestinian, under Arab rule? And they see what Arab rule has developed into throughout the world or they like living adjacent to us. Maybe they want to become Israeli citizens. Maybe they just want the status quo. I don't know. Um, and, you know, that's, it's not up to them completely. But you, if you want to know what they feel, most of them will feel they want to be much closer to where they are right now and they do not want to take the chance of where an Arab uh, new country will take them to.
0: Well, that, that, that has to come from two points. That has to come from the realization that Israel, is, as you were saying, Israel is basically never leaving, that we're here to stay, and it's got to come with some kind of subduing of the uh, jihadist yeah. thought within Islam. It's got to somehow be batted down. It's got to be somehow be batted down. And here, by the way, is how I, I, I'm really thinking about this in terms of a, a, a kind of a catchphrase. And that is, 100 years ago, there was something in the world called the Jewish question. Everybody wanted to know, what's going to be with the Jews? They're like this kind of... You know, uh, nation that exists amongst other nations, kind of unnaturally, uh, in all these various countries, and yet they come at kind of have a a, a, a unity, even though they're dispersed and they're kind of successful but kind of migratory. Sometimes they're, they're, they're wealthy and, and they help the economies and sometimes they're really, um, you know, like, like they could be brought into a very low situation as well. What's going to be with these Jews? And they're somehow annoying. Religiously they're annoying. In other ways they're annoying. There was the Jewish question, right? Especially when the pogrom's coming around, what's going to be with the Jews? Are they going to be rescued? Are they going to be killed? That question has been settled. There is no more Jewish question. Right. There is Israel. It's the homeland of the Jews, the central homeland. There's a few other satellites including, of course, the big one, the United States of America. But there's no question anymore. Even when I was a kid, I feel there was more of a question. Will Israel survive? You know, is is it really now with the numbers reflecting that Israel is the state with the the area with with the most amount of Jews in the world, it's become obvious that the Jewish question is settled. Now we're entering something else. It's called the Arab question. What's going to be with the Arabs? Are they going to come out of uh, uh, this regression that they're going into? Are they gonna come out of self-defeating jihad? Are they gonna come out of hate? This this hateful way of, of, of kind of looking at, at others? Are they gonna enter a, a more modern approach or are they still gonna be in, in medieval wars? Right. Uh, and, and and I think that that's a question for individual Arabs as well as the general movement. Like, mm-hmm. Where are you at? Are you, are you gonna still hold on to that? Or are you gonna accept reality? Find an, a a softer way of interpreting your Islam and your identity, and kind of and kind of move ahead. Or are you going to regress and keep fighting with yourselves, keep fighting with the Jews, and in the end, just just self self destruct?
2: Yeah, I think there is a a good question whether there is going to be some sort of reformation within like this radical Islamic uh, movement um, that infects the entire world right now. You know, Judaism had basically a reformation. After the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, we went from a very, you look at what Judaism was when we had a Beit HaMikdash to what it is today. It's very, very different. We try to remember what it was like, but we have a very difficulty remembering something we've never actually experienced. Uh, In Israel, it's a little bit easier than Chutzlaretz, but it's still very difficult. Certainly the Christians, they had their own reformation, Protestant reformation, but uh, Islam never did. And I think we're paying for it right now.
0: Yes, and maybe we will can look forward to a better time. But as, as usual, that better time can only come about with Jewish strength, with that, with, that, uh, with that clarity that Israel isn't going anywhere, and also with a religious clarity that the God of Israel is with us. This is what I tell Muslims all the time. I say, Allah loves you. He's given you 22 countries, oil coming out of the ground. But Allah loves the Jews, okay? And, he, and he's given us Al-Quds, and he's given us Jerusalem and, and this holy land. And you have to respect that. It's in your Quran. And you have to be a good Muslim by accepting Allah's will because this is Allah's will. And how else do you think we defeated you if it wasn't Allah's will that we would defeat you? You, you have to accept that. And, that. and that does something to them. Yeah. You know? Speak to them in a language that, that – and it's a true language. There's nothing false in what I just said. Yes. There's nothing false. Maybe the name Allah is not the, what the name I would use you know, when I'm praying. But still, we're talking about the same God. Uh, indeed. Okay, LEP, e. thank you so much for joining me at the home studios here uh, in Judea overlooking the Judean mountains close here to Bethlehem, close here to Hebron. And thank you so much for all of the work that you're doing for all of Judea and Samaria and, and thereby strengthening all of Israel. You're the international director of the Yesha Council, uh, the Council of Judea and Samaria, and you were behind that great event at AIPAC. Thank you so much. Yeshai.
2: thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking to your listeners. And happy Pesach. Happy Pesach. Happy
0: Pesach cleaning. Amen. I'm a little nervous about that. Stay tuned, folks. We're going to talk about Pesach cleaning with the one and only Malka Fleischer. She's she's going to get us right into the mood or or out of the mood of getting ready for Pesach. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, folks. We're back here on the Yishai Fleischer Show. Last segment, we've been with Rabbi Mike Foyer. With we've, we've been with Ellie Epsch, And now we are with our beloved Malka Fleischer. Shalom, Malka Fleischer. Yay. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, newspaper uh, here in Israel... And to all of today's radio programs all talked about the revelations, of, the full revelations about Israel's attack of the Korean-sponsored uh, atomic atomic nuclear core that was being developed in Syria, in kind of northeastern Syria, far away from Israel, like a three hundred kilometer flight, something like a like a, like an hour and a half or two hour flight all the way there, a bomb run of some eighteen tons. Of munitions, and a return flight, and a lot of the, the drops, a lot of the dro- all the drops were accurate, and then some of the fuel, uh, you know, fuel tanks, empty fuel tanks were dropped over Turkey, with the Israeli insignia on it, and that was really the only clue that anybody had about the the actual who who did the attacks. Uh, Israel calculated. It seems oh, this was all in 2007, just to be clear, this was 2007, this is eleven years ago, but the stories of it all came out now, and Israel decided to kind of release all of the uh, facts about that. And uh, w- one of the um, interesting d- interesting things that happened throughout that whole story is that there was a way that they wanted to avoid war with Syria by by but they had they had enough intelligence that they knew that nobody in the Assad regime except for a very few amount of people knew about this so they wanted to make sure that he had plausible deniability so that he won't have to won't need to start a war so Israel never took credit for that attack at the time and 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 just kind of like something happened it seems like there was some reports of an explosion but nobody really knew what was going on and it did leak out a little bit at the time a little bit at the time but now, finally, the f- the full story came out. And I wonder what why, why there was a need to release that story now. I wonder if there That's was a... That's the
3: question that people are asking. Nobody really understands why this information came out or exactly who it was that, like, pulled the trigger. Who is it that released the information and why is it they're not... It's not so clear yet, but it is a fascinating story, Isha. And um, some people are saying it's just because we're about to celebrate 70 years of Israeli independence And it's like a good time to have a good old fashioned awesome Israeli like miracle slash military might protecting the Jewish people type story. Um, I read a I I can't verify, but I read one account that says that the chief uh, like the the army chief of staff was at some kind of uh, an event with the, the chief rabbi of the Kotel the day before the attack. And he's the day before Israel um, attacked and totally neutralized Syria's up-and-coming nuclear reactor.
0: Just before it went hot,
3: right? So he sees the chief rabbi of the Kotel, and he's like, "Go to the Kotel and daven for the Jewish people." And the chief rabbi's like, "Why? What's going on?" And he's like, "Right now is the time that you take orders." Right. Okay. And the rabbi went, and he's like, "Okay." And the rabbi like went to the Kotel and and prayed for the Jewish people. I also saw another uh, article about this from the pilot who actually bombed the reactor, like the main pilot who who dropped this 17 tons of munitions on 18. Okay, I saw 17 yeah. 17 is
0: is Tove, is Kamacher tov and yes. 18 Yes, oh you is think Martyr it's 18.
3: You're just making it up though. No, for no I think Jewish it was Gmatrya. I thought it was I thought so. Okay, anyway, yeah, a so lot of tons. It was 17 tons. or 18 tons. Okay, and I saw an, an interview with the pilot. I didn't read the whole thing, but he's like, yes, the Jewish people, protect the Jewish people, you know, this kind of thing, like beautiful things right, to just say. Just to
0: clarify, that's one pilot. I think there was four crafts that flew. Okay,
3: but there was one pilot, I think, who actually dropped led, the
0: bombs. They no, probably just led the mission. I think, I think okay. they were all dropping bombs.
3: Anyway, so we don't know who it is. It's like Pilot Aleph or something. They like keep the identity hidden. Right. And he said, unless my wife can figure out that it's me in this article, she still has no idea that I was the one. <laughs> That's the level of secrecy that, that everyone had to keep. And everyone still keeps when they're at these higher F- echelons of the Army uh, and of the Air Force. And it turns out that these pilots were scrambled after the security cabinet gave the, the all clear. These pilots were scrambled. They didn't know where they were going or what they were doing yeah they just go up in the air, but it happens to be that for months not happens to be it wasn't circumstance right, but it happens to be that for months they were practicing all these very particular maneuvers, the same maneuvers that they were going to right need.
0: The, 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 the why why all this because there's such a concern, such a fanatical concern of a leak of information which would either accelerate the going hot of the nuclear. Plant in Syria, or that it would somehow, you know, they were set up SAMs around that are surface to air missiles, etc. It was there were so many details uh, uh, that they didn't want released that they really kept it not only secret from wives, like you're saying, but really from the rest of the army, including as you said, the pilots didn't they were already. Practicing.
3: Although it turns out, Ishai, that, that a few major heads were informed of what was about to happen, and basically they get a phone call. It's like everyone's gotten their jammies and they get a phone call at night before they go to sleep. Listen, tomorrow could be there could be like a major retaliation against Israel tomorrow. But they did not move troops or any of the stuff, right? Tanks and things like that. They didn't start to move or do any preparedness. They were willing to sacrifice preparedness, which is a very big deal. In order to gain the element of surprise. Meaning to say they expected that it was possible that Syria was going to retaliate in a major military way, but they right. they couldn't sort of do anything about it if they wanted to maintain their secrecy.
0: But what what I was saying before though is that a fascinating part of the planning was the psychological right.
3: They wanted up. Assad to be able to not have to, to fight Israel. And in fact, the Sana, I think it was, news the Syrian news agency the day after was like yes we had an encounter with israel yesterday and we totally beat them back right and they had to drop their bombs in this like desert location but nothing happened and nobody got hurt right and then later on syria was like well it was a military place but not it was not a big deal right and that's how it went on for several years it happens to be that the whole international community suspected You know, everyone who has intelligence knows that Syria had a nuclear reactor growing over there and everyone suspected that it was Israel who did it. And Israel kind of smugly was always like Israel allegedly blah, 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 blah. And now we finally come out and said, yes, we did this. And what's interesting, Isha, I don't know if you read about this in the article, uh, in any of the articles, but I read about something called the Begin Doctrine. Did you hear about this Begin Doctrine? There's something called the Begin Doctrine, which is named after former prime minister of Israel and former um, Jewish freedom fighter Menachem Begin. And the doctrine says that there is, that we do not allow enemies of Israel to gain nuclear capability. That's a rule. It's called the Begin Doctrine. Learned about that. That's why Israel bombed the Osirak nuclear reactor in Iraq in 1987. And that's why we bombed the nuclear reactor in Syria. And that's why Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is constantly shaking all the, the nations of the world by their lapels and saying we cannot let Iran get a nuclear capability. And that's why Iranian nuclear scientists are always mysteriously dying. Wink, wink, wink. Because otherwise, if we don't stop it in the normal diplomatic way, then Israel is going to have to get out there and stop it.
0: Right. And, and, and it was a preference of the Israeli administration in 2007 under Ehud Omer to actually have the Americans uh, do the strike. But it was Bush who refused.
3: Right. George W. Bush George W. Bush just
0: didn't want to do it. And he talked about diplomacy. And Omer says to him, I'm disappointed in your decision. We're going to have to go it alone,
3: right? Interestingly, Shai Ehud Barak, who was the defense minister, who you have a picture with uh, on your Facebook page from your last visit to APAC, he also wanted to wait,
0: right? But some people are accusing him of wanting to wait for political reasons. Whatever, he but, wanted to wait. But I didn't finish my and story his though. history I didn't, did I didn't not finish go with him. And I only heard this today on Army Radio. Yeah. But supposedly, when Bush hung up the phone, President Bush hung up a phone with Prime Minister Ehud Olmert. To he say, said, we're not bombing. He, right. He said, and that Olmert says to him, we're going to do it then, sir. That's when Bush said, that's why I like the guy. <laughs> that is what, that was what yeah, was, he, was like, reported. He
3: gained respect for Israel because Israel had just come out of the second Lebanon war, which although we didn't lose it, we didn't really win it. It wasn't a very pretty war. Right. It wasn't one of our finest moments when we got, you know, unfortunately lost a lot of soldiers and some failed missions. Um, so yeah, I, I read also that George W. Bush said that the bombing of the Syrian nuclear reactor, a uh, reactor, um, regained his confidence in Israel's military power. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Anyway, very, very good stories. Very, very Israeli stories. I like that you throw in that spiritual story. You know, very, the, 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 combina- the real, just now for a second to, um, shut, off for a second to kind of cut out of the picture for a second the god and spiritual element of it which is obviously like what informs and what gives strength to the whole thing what actually informs and and gives us the the ability to do what i'm about to say but just to kind of focus for a second on the military aspect the the strength the specific two strengths that israel has that comes together is the strength of intelligence to the level of like what is the psychology of this assad where exactly in this building do we have to strike in order to in order to uh, stop this thing from progressing? You know, and how do we get there? How do we calculate the plane right? How do we beat the the uh, the radar systems, etc.? It's like very 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 laser attuned intelligence, coupled with precision strike abilities. Of of the IDF and those those are amazing things. I
3: read that one of the things that that Af- Israel wait just let oh, me let sorry me it's just such an interesting story. I'm so no, excited. About. Let me yeah. just
0: now unfade uh, uh, uh. fade back in. God is like it's like uh, those tremendous uh, abilities that have been given. Uh, you know never never take them into into a kind of a smugness. I don't like that word I used before. Smugness. It's like never never allowed that smugness to seep in. God gives us strength to protect our people. We've also been persecuted for two thousand years. We've we've suffered a lot, and finally, we're we're on the other side of that. And now, God is giving us strength and gathering us back to our homeland, giving us that ability. And we have to be wowed by that, you know, wowed by God's gift to our people and that strength and that strength that that we exude. It's God who gives you the strength. Combine those two, you're you're golden. What were you saying, Malka?
3: Oh, I was just gonna say you were talking about technology before. And precision power it happens to be that Israel has a special kind of plane. I guess Israel probably isn't the only country, but Israel has a special kind of plane that flew with the team and its whole job is to mess up the radar. Sure. So when these other planes go through, it's like there's no planes here. That's right. It like sends out this thing that Syria thought that there were clear skies and just did not see the planes coming in. That's right. That's right. It goes like I this, thought that like was this. cool. Blah, 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 blah. I thought that that was cool, and yeah. I also, um, I'm always moved. I'm. I i do not think I'm ever going to stop being moved by the motivation that the Israeli military has to defend the Jewish people. This to me, it, it's a it's a motto and a theme which which returns on itself over and over again. And whenever one would think, you know, sometimes you 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 zoom out or maybe you zoom in, I don't know, you're zooming somewhere sideways. And you sometimes think that Israel is so full of contention and different kind of Jews and, and, and breaking the silence, you know, BDS pro BDS organizations and things that make you wonder, like, are we all on the same page? You know, like, where's this country going? Are we all going in the right direction? And then sometimes you get these moments where you're like, yes, we are going in the right direction. We have not lost the plot, and and we still understand at the end of the day. And sometimes it takes nasty stuff, but we all understand in the end of the day that we're here for each other. That we're here to defend the Jewish people, and uh, I'm I'm still moved by it.
0: Okay, so so I, I have a comment on that actually, um, and I agree with you. It is very moving, but I'm I'm going to um, slightly I want to point out a little weakness in that, which okay. is that we are good at that when the enemies go existential on us, when they're about to build a nuclear bomb, so everybody's like, okay, we're going to stop them. When they go nuclear, right, or, or when they go on a, a total war, then we all get together. Even the Mavi Marmara, when they attack our boys in such a horrific manner, you know, and there's, and there's this, these ships that are coming towards us, and, Okay, then we kind of get all together. The problem is not when we are faced with existential issues. The problem is when we're not faced with existential issues. The problem is when we face incremental issues. Slow erosion of sovereignty in the Negev, a takeover of, 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 uh, of Bedouins all over the sands of the Negev, and the inability of Israeli army to actually deal with the theft problem by the Bedouins in the IDF bases down there. or well, th- Isha, One know, second, one yeah. second. Or take over of uh, the lands in the north. Or uh, the stabbing attacks where there are jihad centers in Hebron and in East Eastern Jerusalem and other places. And we know that they exist. Or the $355 million that I talked about in the last segment that have been going for all these years to terrorism by the PA. And there is this... When, it's, when, when anybody talks peace with us or talks that human rights language... Social justice language, you know, the equality of the Palestinians, and give them a vote, and give them a this, give them a that, and 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 you know, and they're only they're only terrorizing you because uh, because they're looking for equality. We fall for that stuff, and our Jewish students fall for that stuff, and we and what happens is is that is that we are not in a place where we are uh, going at it full force. Meaning to say, we're not bombing the Palestinian Authority, although the Mukata. And, and Mahmoud Abbas are just as dangerous, if not more dangerous of an enemy, than Assad in Syria, right? And it's just because of the way that they draw themselves or the way that we've drawn them as, as well. And, and that to me is, is a big problem. Here today we are facing a week where three Jews have been murdered, right? In the last week's period, three Jews have been murdered. And, and uh, the, the, the Holocaust for that family, um, back to another theme from the first part of the show, which we talked about the word Holocaust, which mm. is means fully burnt. Oy. yeah, like like an olah a, a, a offering, mm. a fully burnt offering. We used to be called in the translations a Holocaust offering.
3: Oy. yeah.
0: So 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 to me, I I get frustrated, and I want to just tell you one more thing, which is which was there was a, there was a case last week, in which a Hebrew labor website. Yes, I know about this. A, a website that was promoting. Hebrew, Jewish only tr- labor, right. uh, you know, electricians and plumbers and this and that was People shut down. who wanted Jews, who wanted to hire Jews, and do you know who who caused the shutdown? The uh, Masat, I think it was Adala, which is yeah. which is a pro Arab but really anti Israel legal kind of society, together with the Reform movement, oh. sued. That's right,
3: sued mm-hmm. that, the Hebrew labor movement, website.
0: And, uh, in and, court, got and got it shut down by, by the courts, and the courts upheld the shutdown. And basically they just said to them, Hebrew only... Uh, yeah, uh, it's racist. It's it racist. racist. It's racist. And this is, the, the, you know, Hebrew labor is one of the underpinnings. Of the original Zionism and basically the underpinning of the basic idea that that Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish state and that it, that what that means that Israel has a right to favor and 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 to support and to grow and to, and to and to be the greenhouse for the Jewish people and that's been shut down. They're going to soon shut down. Uh, uh, the Hatikvah tune, because it's racist, because it's you know, pro-Jewish. Well, I don't uh, know. It's, this, it's the same exact pattern, and there has been murmurings that Hatikvah is a problem because it's, all, because it's too Chesh. nationalistic, too Jewish, too nationalistically motivated. And I'm just trying to say, you know, when our enemies make the mistake of going, uh, going nuclear on us or going, go, going existential on us, we like wake up. But when they sting at us, and when they and when and when they work incrementally and quietly and divide us, use our own courts, use our young people, slowly take away lands.
3: Well, Isha, is you know, weak. there's an incredible book that was written about this phenomenon. It's called The Bible. Same people, same issues, same responses for thirty five hundred years. And that. Is both frustrating, right, in, in the sense that we don't seem to make a lot of progress as a nation, but I also find it very comforting at the same time. Which is like, there's nothing new under the sun. This is all the same thing. The Jewish people have always look at the time of Samson. What a royal mess that the Jewish people were in, as the Philistines chipped away at their at their uh, at their pride and their self respect of the Jewish people and what they what it brought the Jewish people to, and we managed to get out of that. And uh, I personally, yeah, you know, I know about the Hebrew labor, uh, about the Hebrew labor thing, and it's it's very unfortunate. I think it's incorrect, but it feels to me like this country,
0: our beloved country,
3: yes, is. It's it doesn't feel to me like it's slipping down a horrible slope of decay. It doesn't feel like that to me. It feels like I don't. I don't. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's.
0: I think yeah. We the, the analysis has to be you know not just pass fail yes you're right there are the you know i wouldn't say that it's going down the toilet but i i was pointing out to a phenomena which is phenomenon i always forget
3: one phenomenon
0: one phenomenon which is uh w- w- which is a dangerous one okay and and yes. a chevron where I work, I see it all the time. I see the breaking the silence, people eroding young people's minds. I see the ambivalence of the state of Israel to 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 annex and assert sovereignty and be strong. And, right, and but I,
3: you know what? That you know the saying that they have about like one light will dispel the darkness. You know what I mean? You've 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 heard this. This is like a very common sure way of talking about how a little bit of positivity can really erase a lot of negativity. You speak to a lot of groups. I also had the opportunity to speak to a group this week. Um, of kids on the Israel Experience Tour, one Back. of many incredible tours.
0: Back on the Mount of Olives. On the
3: Mount of Olives. I got to go to the, the beautiful Hoshin, uh building on, on the top of the Mount of Olives um, with one of the best views in the city um, and maybe on earth um, there of the Temple Mount. And those the kids that I spoke to um, were all from New Jersey, Jewish kids, and they had just come out of a speech by an Arab who basically told them that Zionism is practically dead and that Israel is just going right down the toilet and that, you know, it's all basically ripe for the picking for, um, you know, Arabs to get there or whatever. I don't know, something. And then after after my I wish, speech. I wish I would have been at that speech. I wish, I wish. so too. The truth I is wish. I would love to go on one of these center left tours that, that students go on. Anyway, so when the kids came in, I was I knew where they had come and I knew where they were going, which was to an meme tour. I know they'd been on a on some left tour of Chevron and a right tour of Chevron with Rabbi Simcha Hachbaum. and I, I knew that I was up against it kind of, you know what I mean? And when I give a talk on the Mount of Olives, it's usually about myself. And my personal story of how I became religious, how I ended up living in Israel, how I ended up being a settler, right? Which is what I proudly am. Settler. This, this, the smell, of the scent of the hilltops. Scent of the hilltops. Settler. Yes. Okay. Um. And so I was a little bit intimidated, right? Because I'm not, um, I'm not the head of some like big, very credible organization, and I'm sure not, are.
0: It's called the Fleischer House. Yeah, the Fleischer House. You're the head. Um.
3: Of it. And I'm not, you know. I'm not a CEO of something. I'm not a, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I'm just some lady who came to talk to them about my personal life and my funny stories and my serious stories and everything. Um, and the kids, you know, when I talk to them about my motivations and what brought me to live in the land of Israel and what convinces me that the Jewish people's um, rights to the land of Israel are the most um, organic, authentic, legitimate things this is a much longer talk right it was an hour and a half talk um i saw their minds really open up they weren't shutting me out they were not shutting me out right right right. um and i don't that may mean they weren't shutting out the enemies of israel who went to talk to them either right but they were not shutting me out um and their brains their little brains were working and i think that it's just up to us to like keep paddling always you know what i mean the definitely the enemies of israel are constantly at it but i think that if we keep at it i really do believe that like a little bit of the truth a little bit of the goodness a little bit of that like smell of gun Eden, that like smell of the garden of eden that reminds us where we all came from mm-hmm. does a lot to fix the wrongs i hope it will and there's there's people who are very committed you know Prime Minister Netanyahu is up against these, uh, like, allegations. People know that he's being investigated for this and for that, and nobody knows. He, he staved off a um, the breaking of his coalition, but it might still get broken and all this stuff. And I'm not in central Israel, so I can't say with total certainty. But it doesn't feel like to me that people are panicking in the right wing. They're like, oh, no, what whatever will we do? Because I think that that politicians on the right feel like now is their time. If Prime Minister Netanyahu has to break apart a coalition, either he'll just get rehired through new elections, or some other great person like Naftali Bennett will go through, or, you know, that that there's a lot of hope, and there's a great momentum going on in the pro-Israel movement. I hope that's true, and I hope it keeps going.
0: Yes, I, I, I of course I agree with you, and of course I'm, I'm generally very positive, but I'm just also pointing out, that uh, that it is, it, and and I think you may be right that maybe this was released as as part of the seventieth year. But I'm I'm pointing out that with with that with that there are strains that need to be fixed. Absolutely, there's, there's some there's, there's th-
3: some problems and they affect real people. Yeah, and there's, and there's a deep state. People. There's a
0: deep state which is which is problematic. And uh, Elora Zaria, you know, is still in prison for shooting a guy who came to kill them and uh, o- only got a third of his uh, of his sentence cleansed recently. Uh-huh. And, uh what
3: does that mean? How much longer will he I'm be? I'm not yeah. sure
0: exactly. I forgot. But uh but the bottom line is that he he didn't, you know, the people wanted to pardon him. Right. The people wanted to see him the go home that day. The people wanted to see him to see him go home uh, and instead uh, instead he was treated like a criminal. And uh, th- 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 there's there's uh they don't always the enemies are not always going to make it so easy for us as to make it existential, okay? It's not right. always going to be that clear. And it's going to be in those grayer moments, which which our young people are going to be swept into an anti-Israel type of thinking uh, through the trickiness. Right. You know what I mean?
3: Well, let's bring God back in to the picture, you know? You brought him in, you brought him out, you brought yeah, him in again. F- fade
0: him back in. Let's bring
3: him in. God's pretty smart. He brings the existential enemies upon us because he knows.
0: Yeah. I want to tell that you,
3: uh, we need those existential <laughs> enemies, which is not great, right? Um, which I, is kind of sad. But uh, I, I'm appreciative nonetheless.
0: I want, I spent some time with the mechanic of Chevron. What, like
3: car mechanic? Yeah, the, the, the yeah
0: the car mechanic of Karat Arba. Okay. And he's a Russian Jew. And I was amazed. And he's not uh, uh, the most orthodox, the most observant Jew. He doesn't wear a kippah. Uh, I'm not sure he's, he's, he's regularly observant. But like his opinion and my opinion about how to deal with the problems of the Middle East were exactly the same. Then uh, later on in the day, I had to for 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 a funny reason, having to do with the mechanic not leaving me the keys of the car after when I went to pick it up and he had already gone home. He was supposed to kind of leave the keys of the car somewhere. I had to spend and I ran out of phone battery. I had to spend like a thirty minutes with these two Druze huh. guards, one of whom guarding named what? Guarding Kiryat Arba, Chevron.
3: Really? And what IDF guards? No, no pri- So what do they do private, private security,
0: private they, security. I didn't
3: know Druze live around there. They don't.
0: They live in the north actually and they come in and sleep in the town for like two weeks at a time. Huh. And then and then go back home. They have like two week shifts. Uh they speak Arabic and they are very very um let's say they're very anti-jihad. Huh. Okay, very very anti-jihad. One of them's name was Midian. Really? And if you know anything about the Druze religion, they believe that they're descendants of Jethro. And I said to him, Midian. Who was the
3: highest priest of Midian.
0: Right, who was, the high, who was the high priest of Midian. And and I said to him, uh, how do you say Midian in Arabic? He's like, Midian. And I'm like, so this is about, about where Jethro comes from? He's like,
3: yes. Wow.
0: And and they too had the same, they, they too understood what the the threat uh, of the Palestinian jihad is against Israel and how to really deal with it. And I'm just trying to say sometimes, it's our big brains, it's our big brains and our over big hearts that, that fall for the rhetoric uh, of social justice uh, and, and peace and equality and plurality when, when really, and, and somebody said to me, well, in one of the talks I gave, so one of the kids said to me, one of the young people said to me, well, if you do this and this, then you're gonna enter into a war. I said, we are in a war. We're in a war. We are in a war. You have to just understand that it's not a full-blown war, but it is absolutely a war. And again, you know, people have been murdered just this week for, 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 for the reason of just being Jewish and the, 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 um, the, botherne- the bothersomeness that Israel is to people who believe that Israel has no place to, to exist in, a mu- in Muslim lands. And if we don't nip this stuff in the bud, it's going to, it's going to hurt us from within. That's my, that's my only... Uh, I agree with you. Okay, very good. Malka Fleischer, it is... Uh, I see that the vacuum is out in the house, uh, and I see on your face that you have pre-Pesach... The pre- Pre-Pesach face? Pre-Pesach face. Um, I guess I got to moisturize. I, I, don't think, I don't think it's about the moisturize. I got matzah face. You know, I, maybe we'll leave the talk about, about getting rid of, uh, of all the chametz next week. I just, I just want to say that the word chametz also has the word chamutz. Which is which is
3: what? How do you say that? In um, Spoiled? No, um, no, 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 no. That's yeah. Ich, ich well, yeah, but, uh, there, uh, but chamutz doesn't mean that. It means um, tangy, like uh, like um, like pickles. What well, is it? What's the what, oh, word? Can't sour. Sour, right?
0: Well, I, I want to say that that one of the, one of the things that we have to do for Pesach is we have to get rid of the chametz or the chamutz that is within us, and I know about myself. Sometimes things have soured. My neshama, a little bit, my soul. And really, one of the cleansings of Pesach is to get rid of all the things that both make us, our internal dough rise, the ego, uh, what the sages called, kin'a, tava, and kavod, jealousy, uh, wanton and desire, and s- a self desire for personal honor. Right, p- personal uh, aggrandizement. Uh, that's that's a kind of danger that we want to get rid of before pesach we want to see ourselves shrink from big fat airy bread to a thin cracker that's chruar sir crispy that's right and and also at the same time get rid of chamutzness, like like that sourness that's the soured on the shaman side that we look at the world asconce and don't see its beauty and i i i have myself have suffered from that a little bit and so now, yes, yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's right. Yes. So now it's time to to come back from that, <coughs> and to be um. To to find the sweetness in life, to find the to, to shrink a little bit, and to and to and to see again the kind of beauty of life from a from a more humble and happy and thankful self. Nice. Right? You think so?
3: F- thumbs up.
0: Thumbs up. All right, Mark. I, I like. also I also want to thank all the folks that make this show possible. First thing I want to thank you. For joining uh, the show today, Malcolm. Thank
3: you. Thanks for having me. I like
0: to make an extra long show for folks. I like to to cover a lot of topics, and I got a lot of great feedback about last week's show. Oh yeah, three, three rabbis and a wife. Yeah, huh? it was a lot of fun, and uh, and I, I just I enjoy making a little bit of extra radio for folks so, so that it kind of takes them through their week. Um, and I do want to thank the good folks at Hebron that allowed me to make a show like this. And you could really help us out by by. Supporting our projects at HebronFund.org. And the best way that you could support is by actually visiting. And we have great tours, weekly and bi-weekly tours at HebronFund.org. Uh, please join us and come see the mothers and the fathers who are buried in Hebron, the, the, the starters of the whole thing.
3: I know a lot of people are looking for a way to, to give charity and things before uh, the major holidays. This is one of the three big holidays of the Jewish people. I cannot really think of a better way to get connected to the good juice before Passover than to hand over some money to support Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who've done so much to support us. Right,
0: and by the way, we will have the full tomb of the Patriarchs and Matrix open to the public with the Isaac Hall open Two days, this Cholamotis. So nice. And they have a fantastic holidays. festival. Monday and Tuesday. Monday will be the big rock and roll festival, the Jewish music festival. And Tuesday it's open and it's it's great for prayers. Uh, for example, Rabbi Shmuel Eliyahu will be there on, I think, Monday or Tuesday Ooh, morning. Nice. At Vatican with a big wow. club. Very special. Very special.
3: And bring your matzah sandwiches, you know. Like make yeah. your matzah pizza. Yes. Bring your kids to see Sara Yemenu. Good stuff. You eat some matzo pizza. You could
0: also, Malka, get yourself a, a Seder plate made of Lego at jbrick.com. Okay? Jewish bricks, Jewish Lego. Yes. Yes. And
3: it's, you'll want to play with that while wearing your tehill at That's right.
0: Uh, you will want to wear... At the Seder, you want to be as Jewish as you can be, right? You want to you leave Egypt chazak. Get Jewish. Uh, that's right. Get Jewish. And the way to, to do that is by being a true blue Jew... Hashtag, and <laughs> and check out tekelot t e k h uh, e l e t, old school British type spelling, but it'll bring you into a new school of of being a true blue Jew. It's an awesome experience. I'm wearing my techelet right now, living it, baby. Um, and I also want to thank our good friends at JangloJanglo.net, who are the uh, information superhighway for knowledge about Israel in the English language, about what's going on. And if you're even coming in just for the Passover or for the summer and you're planning, get on Jangle, start asking questions, you'll see. Yeah,
3: and it's all in English, so it's really, really advantageous. You're like, oh, I'm looking to rent an apartment. Who knows something? And bang, people get back to you.
0: I also want to finally thank the good folks at the Land of Israel Network, and I want to thank Ari and Jeremy uh, for creating the Land of Israel Network, and I want to thank Tabitha <clears throat> and Ben and, uh, in my case, Moshe, for really doing such a great job of getting the show out to the world they are the silent partners that make this show happen. This show and all the other great shows, which I love. I love this network. It's such a pleasure and an honor to have such a great home and such a great name, the land of Israel, thelandofisrael.com. Uh, and check out the great projects that that Ari and Jeremy are doing with this incredible Center Farm uh, that's that's happening here in the in the Judean Mountains, not so far away from here. Uh, just just awesome, awesome people doing awesome things, and you're connected to an awesome, awesome story. Uh, you're connected to an awesome story. I myself, I'm going to go listen to Rabbi Mike Foyer's the Jewish story in just a minute. Nice. And there's great, great stuff coming out. Josh Haston's show, uh, Gil Hoffman, uh, 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 Shlomo Katz, Rabbi Shlomo Katz, Ari and Jeremy, Eve Harrow, uh, and of course, of course, the amazing uh, a tour guide. Uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, the incredible. That's right, the incredible uh, Eve Harrow, and a good friend of mine as well. So. That's it, folks. I also want to thank uh, uh, two more entities. One is you, wherever you are. Write me and send me an email. I've gotten some emails recently of people with, and I, I didn't get a chance to read on this show, of people with their lives and their cars and their dogs, people sending me great cool. pictures. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it. I'll no, talk should about share it. share it next time. I'll talk about it next show. And also I want to thank God Almighty for letting us uh, uh, be part of his story, to uh, broadcast his story. He's the one doing the broadcasting to the world. It's his decision that he's in gathering the exiles, that he's making this into a great time, that he is, that he is, that he is making Jerusalem once again the light of the world, and letting us small folks standing on the shoulder of giants, uh, you know, after the Holocaust, after two thousand years of exile, to come back to this land, to have these microphones and this technology at our fingertips to talk with you. It's an incredible, incredible time, and all we have to do is tune in, all we have to do is plug in, all we have to do is be part of the story. So be part of the story wherever you are. Thank you very much. Stay strong, stay tuned, stay connected. God bless you, Malcolm Fleischer. Thanks so much. Shalom. Chag Sameach. Shalom, everybody, and Shabbat Shalom.